Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders of Melisande, uh, and Paradise Hills for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja, Three Protectors, and Animals, which is not only out right now, but has a Kickstarter going. So hopefully you have jumped onto that. Scott and I are double dipping in the Kickstarter waters, and uh, Animals number one is here. Horror for that ass. When I dip, you dip, we dip. All right, so hey, let's just talk about it. So we just recorded a conversation with Andy Belanger, and uh, it was a great conversation. And before we do that, obviously, we have one thing that we talk about first, and that is drinking beer. Yeah. And because we just had that episode, I have already drinking that beer, and that's why I completely forgot. Yeah, for you the about beer's this been part of the process. For you the beer's been drunked. For me, it's about to be drinken. So for me, I just cracked cracked mine open, and uh, I gotta say, Scott, this is a grapefruit IPA. But you know what it tastes like? Ooh, it tastes like victory. It tastes like victory, and that's because mm. this is deep sea decoy by Abel ba- Baker Brewing Company and Lazy Dog Brewing Company, my friends. Oh, because, collab. Because this is the collab that I talked about. So, quick refresher. I joined the Lazy Dog Beer Club because they do these cool collabs. They said, you know, when you join, you say, come in and get your first uh, eight-pack. I got my first eight-pack expecting it to be a collab. It was not. It was the standard Lazy Dog eight-pack you get because collabs are ordered in advance. So, how could they possibly know you wanted this one, Right. That was when I then had a conversation with the restaurant manager and said, hey, if you have any extra, let me know. He called me two days ago. He said, I have extra. You still want one? Of course I did. I went there and got it yesterday. And uh, this selection of beers is really promising. I'm going to try to save them all so I can just drink them all on the podcast. But we'll see. But this thing is a grapefruit IPA, deep sea decoy. It is excellent. It is an excellent grapefruit IPA. I am already happy. This is already better than any of the beers in the initial startup pack I got. Oh, yeah. And you left one thing out, Keith, a very important part, like for from my heart, the most important part from my heart. It was discounted. It was discounted. Yes, yes. That was the best part. That for whatever reason, he was like, yeah, we can give it to you at this price and that price. And what was even better, Scott, is I got the free glass with it, too. So, oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I got basically the full treatment. because, And that was what I wasn't sure about wording-wise. Like, do I get a glass the first time I sign up? Or do they make a different glass every single time? They make a different glass every single time. So oh, shit. Over, over time, I'll end up with a pretty nice little lazy dog beer glass collection as, as long as I keep this going. And right. after drinking this one beer, I am definitely keeping it going for a while. Right on, man. That's awesome. Um, so I picked up Golden Road Brewing, Big Hazy Wolf, Double Hazy IPA. Wow. It is nine point. It is nine percent. Yeah. Did you drink that already? You're already done? That's why I said nine point, because I drank the whole thing already. <laughs> I meant to say nine percent, but yeah. I said nine point because nine I point. in fact have drank this entire sixteen ouncer. Yeah. And uh it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, oh this is eight. Eight, by the way. So I'm right there. Oh, okay. I'm right there with you. Not in not in high alcohol land, but uh, you know, hey, a pretty a pretty good solid time for the whole family. And I mean me. <laughs> right on man all right let's get into it what was oh no i was wrong this is 19.2 fluid ounces oh my god okay so nine percent at 19.2 you have yourself 
you have yourself a what we like to call a high power rating. If you crack 150, that's a hell of a time right there. And I believe by my math, I am a little bit short of 150 and you you crank over it. So oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, you do that. You do that. And I did it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're not really going to talk about what we did this week. We'll save that for next week. And don't worry, we did plenty of stuff this week because we just had a really cool conversation with Andy Belanger. And the reason I say that name correctly is because we didn't when we were talking to him. We're stupid (laughs) and we're American. So we called him Bellinger because that's how it's spelled to people in America that have no grasp of other languages like your boy Scott Lost and I. Um, But yeah, man, uh, it ended up going a little over an hour, I think. And uh, I mean, he it was kind of cool because at the beginning he had told us, yeah, I'm really short on time. But then we ended up having a really good conversation. But uh, I don't know about you, Scott, but what I found interesting was that considering it was an hour long, it flew by. It rocketed by. I couldn't believe how fast the whole thing was going. We're like, holy crap, we've been talking this long. You know, you know, I think what that attributes to is the fact that when we get new people on and they let us know their process, it's so it's not maybe it's not necessarily so different from us, but it is, in fact, different. Mm -hmm. Like everyone works slightly different from each other. And then when you do find those commonalities in how you work with one another or, you, you know, you work individually and it's, hey, that's how I do it. It adds to the conversation and you talk about that and then it leads down different road, roads and then you hit other uh, aspects of your creation that the other one doesn't potentially do. And so it's always kind of like this nice give and take and, and it's uh, always cool to discover how other people work. Yeah, and and you will hear in this conversation, you'll probably even see in some of the episode markers that we've teased that the conversation goes all over the place. I mean, it, it talks a lot about creating. It talks a little bit about writing comics, about writing novels, because Andy is writing a novel as well. It talks about Kickstarters. It talks about wrestling. And, uh, and there is a good, fun, fair amount of other uh, very Uh, very promising names, very prominent names that Andy tends to bring up in the course of conversation, which is pretty great. So, uh, so yeah, man, we enjoyed talking with Andy and, uh, and we hope you enjoy listening. So, uh, so let's get to it right now. All right. We're here with our special guest, Andy Bellinger. We got you uh, for this episode and like, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We truly appreciate it to have a creator of your caliber. Uh, uh, Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Oh, Hey, thanks man. Right on. Very cool. So this is a process podcast. So we usually talk about how we make comics, essentially. So like, are you are you currently doing the writer artist thing? Do you have a writer that comes on? Because right now you seem to be focused more on uh, personal projects as opposed to working for other companies doing their characters. You're doing your characters right now. So what's your process? Do you have a writer or are you tackling it all yourself? No, I, I write my own stuff. So um, one of my... Uh, best buddies uh kind of like my older brother uh is a a creator by the name of darwin cook um who's like super big in the industry he's amazing um yeah Yeah. he before he passed it was like a year or two before that he basically had been bugging me my whole career to write and draw my own stuff because he wrote and drew his own stuff and he's like listen the the sort of like the, the time of the artist is like really dead they've they've it's it's dying and it's dead because like 
basically Marvel and DC were treating the artist like it, it characters king. So it really doesn't matter who these artists are. And that was basically a result of of you know the dawn of image when all those guys right. broke off from Marvel and and DC to to create image. That was the last time that Marvel and DC ever really truly built up artists as superstars was the 90s right so basically when i was getting into comics in 2003 2004 it was a little bit of a scorched earth sort of scenario for artists like there was lots of great artists and there's been lots of great artists since but none of them have gotten to the level of of you know todd mcfarlane or jim lee or rob liefeld or, or any of those guys you know you could argue maybe paul pope was like the last superstar artists that that came around and really like there's definitely artists that are as talented you know uh jorge jimenez or pepe la Raz, they're all top top caliber artists but they're, they're never going to get the superstardom that you know like pope or, or those 90s guys got it's just never going to happen so it became a time of the writer right so then the writers got gigantic you know guys like uh you know grant morrison um you know scott snyder uh jeff mark, lemire mark miller you know, uh james tinian mark miller you know all these guys got gigantic and they were the new stars and now you're watching what's been happening over the last two years and none of those guys are even working at the big two or any of the major publishers anymore right so it's kind of like they've turned it into well it doesn't matter who writes this stuff because we kind of dictate it anyway and it does it definitely doesn't matter who draws it so <laughs> You know, I, I moved into a scenario where I, you know, I wouldn't want to work for those companies right now because um, there's just n not a lot of room for creativity. Um, yeah. So I wanted to, to make it all about, you know, writing and drawing my own stuff. And where it came to Cook was before he passed, he said, listen, Andy, whatever you do, start writing and drawing your own stuff. Your work is almost always way more powerful when you're writing and drawing your own stuff, right? Because my heart's in it. Like I definitely have okay. a, a large hand in with my 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 books, but I know I'm not a strong enough writer as of now to like write it myself. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, like my relationship with my writer is so strong that we can collaborate. Like I'll say, hey, this is what I want to do. And then he lays out the script and, you know, he he throws the dialogue down and, you know, he's so cool about being he's, he's very flexible with everything and i'm like hey this this doesn't sound right with the character like you know i'm gonna change the dialogue here he's like yeah just go for it you know so it's it's always nice to have like a like if you have to collaborate and like that's something i kind of tell i like to say on the pod is make sure you're writing strong like like i'm sure you're right like i i've read mother truckers like you're good like i'm not worried about your dialogue but i have read other artists <laughs> where they're writing their own story and it's not good. It's just like, oh man, you could really use the help of a writer. And like, not to say that they can't contribute anything on the writing end of it. Like co-plotting is awesome. And if you do have a writer where you can talk about the dialogue openly and they're cool with adjustments, then I think that's just as good. But obviously if you do have the skills um, to do both, it's totally beneficial to you. Yeah, I, I would say so. So, um, you know, I've worked with like, big writers i've worked with graham morrison i've worked with scott snyder jeff lemire uh on swamp thing uh becky cloonan uh you know i i've worked with big people before and i find like when you get to the top there's not a lot of room for co collaboration because you don't actually end up talking to them 
Mm. You know, it's just like you get the scripts and it's like, do your thing. And then they look at it. And if they have a problem, maybe you get a note back, but normally you don't. And then they write the dialogue to, to match a little bit more. Um, I, I did a, a short story in Razor Blades with James Tinian, who's like, you know, the hottest writer right now. Right. Yeah, and he had Keith's, written a, uh, Keith's favorite. Yeah. And I and uh, so the, the first story in Razor Blades, his like horror project he did on the side there. I was like the first him and I were the first story. And after he saw art, like, oh, I'm going to chop half my dialogue because the pictures are already doing what my words were going to do. So he was always really great to collaborate with. Like, James was amazing. But a lot of guys you never even talked to. Like, I never, I don't think I even talked to Grant Morrison when I did, like, a, oh, really? a, a book for him. Yeah, oh, no. Bonkers. I, like, I, no emails, no contact, nothing. It's just I got the script and it was like, okay, go. Yeah. Pull it off in three weeks. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so but for my own writing um up here in montreal we started a writing circle because like i got really into reading books by writers on writing like stephen king's book on writing and chuck palahniuk's book on writing was really great chuck palahniuk's is great because like he was creating he chuck in particular has writing circles so he goes to writing circles with other creative writers and they they spitball ideas with each other so we do that too and it, it, those are really great for killing your darlings and not getting too pre precious about your ideas, right? Like if you're in a writing circle you, and you present like a chapter that you're working on and the story that you want to tell, you know, you might get a piece of bad advice or you might get a piece of amazing advice. And maybe even that bad advice, you don't want to hear it right now, but the more you work on it, you realize it. But the thing that really, I mean, I've always been a, you know, I'm a, I'm a shit talker. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I've always like, if you get me in a bar, I will talk your ear off. Like I'm all, I'm full of stories. So that's why cook was always like, you got to write your own stuff. Cause like I am a storyteller. It was just getting back to, you know, actually getting into your English again from school and right. learning yeah. format and style and, you know uh, you know, the cadence of the characters. Like so often when I read a comic, um, I get really turned off because I would say 90% of the comics I read, none of them sound like the way people actually speak. It's literally just a writer going off with crap from their head. You know, being a writer, I'm a writer. So they write as much as they can. And you're just like, that's not how people speak. And, and you know, there is a, a few writers that are current. Every character was the same character in the way that they spoke you know they're all that smart alley guy throwing quips and jokes and i'm the smart alley one but they all are you know where's right. the strong silent one you know like when you think of the a team right you got ba Brockus who didn't say a whole lot you got hannibal smith like this the you know the smart tactician you know wise man you know mentor character you got face who was the talker or was it was it murdoch was the talker Murdoch, one of them I was think. like a real talker right so you want that balance right you can't have every character have the the same sort of personality in their speech and i find that when i read comics now just every character seems to have the same personality unless they're writing the hulk and they're like oh yeah hulk doesn't say much so it, it, that kind of stuff bothered me but what i did was do you know Masterclass? like the the website yes. Masterclass. class yeah, yeah keith I, keith is actually uh um signed up adjacently to it Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So I, I basically did all of the creating creative writing uh, courses on there in 
19. So I did Mammoth, I did Damon, I did um, Margaret Atwood. Um, wow. I did Dan Brown even. I did um, Sorkin's TV writing one. Um, mm-hmm. I just finished Alan Moore's. Um, and they were all great. And uh, they all have a lot of the same things to say where it's like you should write what you know. And I try to, when I'm writing, and a lot of comic book writers are like, hey, you know, I really want to just write Superman fighting some monsters. But for me, it's like, you know, no, I'm going to write about that prick who at the grocery store, like, butted in line in front of me, but then started ordering, like, like, like all of the scratch cards. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. those kind of real moments in life. And then you add a monster, like, flying into the scenario to really piss you off. You know, it's like, I try to, in my writing, um, besides format, my writing, I try to take a real story or a real element or something that really happened to me or someone I know, a, a scenario where I know the people involved, I know the characters and I know the scenario. And then I add two pieces of flavor. So that would be the genre. So you take Mother Trucker. Basically, Mother Trucker is a culmination of all the experiences that I've had in behind the scenes wrestling. Right. But I'm putting it in space and making them truckers. Right. Right. Or maybe like my, my buddy that I just helped him with his Kickstarter orc gym. He came to us and was like, you know, that movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger did called pumping iron. We're like, yeah. And he's like, I really think that would be amazing if they were all orcs. And I'm like, okay, you're speaking my language. This is like, this is like freaking brilliant. Like, <laughs> I love it. Like I'll go for this like concept. I just like freaked out for like all these like bodybuilding orcs. Yeah. Yeah, you know that and that's something just like with what you're saying right now that that's the difference between a lot of writer artists and you know true writer artists like artists that are trying to do the writing as well. It's just like you're actually putting in the work, you're taking these master classes and putting the extra work in and that's that's the difference between those artists that can actually pull off both compared to those who are just kind of dabbling with it and think they can pull it off. So, yeah, that's great that you're actually putting the work in. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Andy, I wanted to, um, so you, you've said a lot of interesting stuff I was trying to write down frantically here, but I was curious. <laughs> so so Darwin Cook tells you, you know, like you should write your own stuff, presumably because you're exactly this human being, right? Like you're out there telling stories, you're doing whatever he's like, you should write. And and I know, you yeah. know, you just said that you've taken all these classes, all stuff like that. Like, did you, did you say... I'm going to start writing and therefore I'm going to do a crash course in classes before I even put my first word down. Like what about like how much of that was just you putting yourself in the lab with a ton of learning in advance versus you kind of fighting your way through it and, and learning it as you took all these classes, if that makes sense. Did you, did you study a lot up front or did you just just kind of hit the ground running and study as you went? I was I hit the ground running and studied as I went like I was actually writing comics at the same time I was doing that and I actually started a novel too so I have a, a novel that I'm working on because like I was doing all those courses so it made sense for me to do a novel and I think I'm about 100 pages in and it's real and there's a, I think there's like four chapters I'm about 100 pages in but it's like it's really weird I, I was writing it in Italy and my when my wife read it it's like, you know, you're sitting on the couch together and she's across from you reading your your novel and mm-hmm. she's got this face like like squinting and she just looks dis- 
disgusted and angry because my novel's pretty gross. Um, <laughs> it's like really gross camp stories that happened to me, like super disgusting stuff. But when it was over, you know, I, I thought she did it because she reads a lot. And after she was like, you know what? That was like fantastic. It was really good. And I was like, okay, weird. Because it looked like you wanted to throw up. And, <laughs> and she was like, no, no, no. She's just like, I've never read anything like this in my life. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's like you're writing from the perspective of a bro. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's just, it's not done. You know what I mean? Like every novel I've ever read is like either, you know, cause she's really into, you know, Bronte sisters and, and, you know, Agatha Christie and stuff. So it's like always like sort of like, you know, uh, 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 sophisticated characters that are like, you know, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of manners and stuff. Or you get like Catcher in the Rye, where every novel you read is by some like, like forgive me, but like a like a nerdy kind of like young character with no power that you know goes from you know zero to hero. But that's not the way I was brought up. I was always like a you know artist, you know basketball player, jock kind of guy. So I didn't have those experiences. Like like you know I had girlfriends and like partied and like that kind of stuff so it's kind of written from the perspective of someone who was like from that scenario like you've so, because lived, like you've lived I, life yeah, lived basically those, yeah, yeah yeah like I, I had a pretty and like crazy life in high school so like you know when college came around and everyone was partying their asses off i had already done that i was like no i, I gotta get straight a's up in here or i'm in big shit you know what i mean so i left that that life behind and that's what I've been writing about is the, the sort of like younger experiences. And uh, she just never like thought about that. So I, I got to get back to novel writing because it's like it's going to be unique. And I remember an interview with Chuck Palahniuk when he was saying, talking about writing Fight Club. And he was like, I, I sold a shit ton of novels because there was no writing out there for men. Like you had your like James Bond, like if you guys can remember going to a grocery store and every grocery store had like a lineup of novels for guys that was like, you know, you'd have like a bunch of army guys with machine guns, like, you know, in the Alps with like snowsuits on, you know, it was all like sort of uh, like army or like James Bondy kind of books, but there was nothing like real, like Palahniuk was writing really from a male perspective and about how, how our men were. And he's like, I just cornered the male market on novels. And it was it was really interesting. So I'd like to like get back to because it's like still early days. So I don't know what that novel is going to be like. It's going to be pretty weird. It's a serpentine beast of many heads. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited that you're 100 pages in because you're right at this good spot where there's enough for it to be formed. But, you know, it also sounds like you're sort of. You're not sure. Maybe, well, I mean, you may be sure, but like the novel may still take some directions. You know, if you're writing, if you're writing organically and if you're writing based on character and not some plot in your head, then it's going to be like you're going to be exploring the novel as you're writing it the first time. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. This one's a bit of an exploration because like all those courses I took, they all, they all talked like Neil Gaiman and Margaret Atwood and even Mamet were like, write what you know. So take experiences that you have and try writing about them. So that's what I did as an experiment. And the novel just started to like form out of that. And yeah. then I have all these fighting in my head where I'm like, I'm writing this novel, but this, should this be a graphic novel? Like I'm a graphic novelist. Like, should I start yeah. drawing this? And I don't know if I should or not. Like there's a, like, that's going to be something down the road in like five years. But like, um, I have that fight every day, but 
what's kind of funny right now when you when you talk about structure because novel my novel has structure i know where it's going, right but um the writing i do for mother trucker and my comic books especially mother trucker is built off the way that we structure wrestling matches so when i started working with speedball mike ba- like mike bailey and the way that he teaches a like uh how to like you know plan your wrestling matches when i started listening to it you know before that i was like oh my god how am i going to remember 200 moves you know uh he started explaining it to me in really digestible terms and i realized it was just the joseph campbell hero's journey <laughs> you know the 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 hero shines and then gets cut off and then the bad guy you know the, the death of the hero right and brings everything slows it down and then the hulk hogan come back right and then you have some falsies in there maybe a strike off and then you go to a finish and it all looks like a roller coaster right and i was like oh my god like like this is like uh, a wrestling match is just creative writing 101 like so it's uh so that's how i write mother trucker it's basically just like the actual wrestling match and like the chapters or the issue titles of all the mother trucker comics are named after the pieces of a wrestling match. Oh, so you have, yeah. So you, the first one was the shine. The second one was the come, the, the cutoff. The next ones that I'm doing right now is the heat. And then there'll be the comeback. And then I have to come up with something for the finish. Cause I'm not going to call it the finish, but I mean, there's so much to unpack there in like novels versus comics, but is there one like do you do you like them both equally is there a change in mindset you know just like i want to keep it vague so you can answer however you want but like how do you do you approach novels and comics differently of course you do but like what are the things you look at there in terms of approaching each one um the comics are a little bit more formulaic i already kind of like like i i'll do my comic outline so i, I i'm pretty detailed writing a novel for me or prose feels like I'm going to school with my pants off, you know, like I think that's why I did all those courses because um, it wasn't just to like reaffirm or find new pieces of knowledge, which is what I was doing. Um, It was also for confidence. You know what I mean? It was like when you don't write it right that way in the, the prose format a lot, the, I found those courses, um, you know, they just get you in the mood. You know what I mean? So it's important mm-hmm. to like, um, you know, have your world emerged in the writing that you're kind of doing. Um, I guess it could be like a lot of people that when they're making comics will actually like read a lot of comics or look at a lot of comics at the same time. And I think you'll find that when you're reading comics by a creator and it feels like the creator's plateaued, it's because they've quit doing that. Um, mm. You know, I have friends that are comic artists and they've been comic artists for 20, 30 years. And a lot of their work hasn't changed. And then you talk to them and they haven't picked up a comic in 10 years. Mm. So you're yeah, like, that's interesting. It's like, you don't even like comics, man. <laughs> like you're just going through <laughs> the same muscle memory that you have been for 20 years. And you don't know why you're doing it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like when I was wrestling, um, I stopped watching wrestling, but it was only for the fact that everyone was cannibalizing everyone. So like 
everyone's watching the same shit. Everyone's watching each other on the indies. And um, what I was doing, like when I was working, why my stuff was a lot different than everyone else's was I was watching 80 shit. I was watching shit from the past while everyone was stealing from each other. And it's just like, you guys are just going around, passing around the same shit. And that's why it all looks the same. And that's how come your matches aren't interesting. And um, like for me, so like when I stopped watching wrestling, it wasn't because I didn't like wrestling anymore, but it was like, what can I do to make my stuff different than everyone else's? So what I started consuming was old wrestling mixed with um, uh, watching like Kung Fu movies, like anything that had like some kind of physicality to it. That's what I would watch because then you get inspiration from different you know, different genres and it makes you think outside of the box. Like instead of just using the ring uh, inside of the ring, you use the whole ring, you know, it was just like, and I've talked about this on the pod before, like fit Finley, like when he went to WWE, like when he was a, he was an agent for WWE and they started him, they had him come back and actually start to wrestle. And this was after the merger. Like the thing that was so interesting about Fit Finley was he used the ring differently. Like I remember a match where someone baseball slid at him while he was on the outside and he grabbed the ring skirt and he pulled it up and they got stuck in between the ring skirt and the ring and he just started beating the shit out of them. And my brain just went because it was like a revelation because it was so different than anything that, that I had ever seen someone do in a match before. And then it made me go, well, what else can I do with the ring? You know, I started using the ring pole. I started using like the, the apron of the ring as a weapon. You know, I would do like, I would have them chest first down on the ring apron, like their body in the ring, but chest out. Right. And I would tie clinch them and I would pull them up and I would slam them chest first into the ring apron while they're laying on their belly. And it was just like, I would find things like that that were different in order to make my matches different than everybody else's. And that's just, um, you know, pulling from different areas that other people aren't doing. So like for your artist friends who are doing, doing the work, but they're not doing essentially research out, out there, like that's the problem. Maybe not necessarily that they're not looking at comics anymore because maybe it, it, it is all the same old shit, but the difference there is they need to be looking at other things out in the world. Like if you're not reading comic books, go read, you know, go watch anime or something. Anime is so different than American comic books or Canadian comics, like the standard comic book. Like if you watch some anime that can boost your idea, you watch, you, you read some manga, you, um, you know, look at like, like you and I had talked about privately, like you were, you were looking at a lot of European artists and, I think a lot of artists out there aren't doing that same thing. Like you have to find stuff out in the world that could kind of inspire you and like make your, your work grow. And um, again, something we had talked about off the air was like, you know, I was talking about my style from the first few issues of my book and how it's still changing. It's like, yeah, the body of it is kind of the same, but you know, it's growing. And you had made the point to say my stuff is still growing. And you're like, how many years in? I don't know. I would say like 25 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, 25 years in. Yeah, it's still changing. It's still growing. It's still merging. Uh, like, you know, uh, you just said a whole bunch of stuff that is like, um, I've had creators take me like, okay, so when I was first getting into comics, I had a very retro horror style, like EC Comics, like Jack Davis. So mm -hmm. I was looking at a lot of Jack Davis horror comics, and that's what I was really into, like old EC horror. And I got a gig um doing friday the 13th in that style 
And a lot of people freaked out, but a lot of people hated it because they went, oh, it's cartoony. Why would you do cartoony stuff in this? And I'm like, holy crap, you're missing like a whole ton of retro horror comics that look just like this. And like, no one knows what this is. And like, to, uh, I got a few heartbreaking stories for you. I remember going to um, SVA in New York uh, and they were doing a horror panel and I brought up like EC horror comics and none of the panelists who are current comic book artists had even heard of it. What? That's all of them were doing horror. All of them were doing contemporary horror comics. And when I brought up uh, a story from EC horror, like none of them knew it. So I'm like, you guys don't even know the history of what you're doing like at all. Like I was like, kind of like what's happening. Like, does no one have any retro interest in the history of what we're doing? It's like you only care about current stuff. So that freaked me out. Like that freaked me out big time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I had that style. Um, And as years went by, I had many creators come to me and say, like, sit me down and be like, if you don't start drawing more like the DC house style, which is Jim Lee, you're never going to work. Yeah. What do you do with that? So my style has been, my style has been changing over the years. To, to be a little more mainstream, I guess you could say more detailed. I went more Mobius, Tomo, that kind of thing. But like, you know, what do you do when the guy, everyone's being like, you just have to draw like Jim Lee if you want to make it. And you it's know? so it's so crazy because the times have changed so much that at one point, yes, that was absolutely true. But I think today's today's comic scene, art scene in general, it's it's more important to have your own style, your own identity now. And I think that's just a a thing with the times, you know, it's just like the more the times change, you know, it's just like, okay, well, what's, what's the thing now? So back in the day, yeah, it was the house style. You had to have the house style, but I think uh, artists are being recognized more now for their individualism, which is obviously great. That's what we, that's what we want. Right. So like you can take all of your influences that you've looked at over the years, those EC comics, you know, uh, Mobius and, and all of that and like make it your own thing. And that's, that's what's popular now. And like, that's the best thing about today's comics. Yeah, I agree. The art styles like changed. I mean, you still have like Jorge Jimenez, which is like a morph of Jim Lee and you still have Pepe Larraz who is, a morph of Koipel, who is what a morph of Stuart Eminent, um, yeah. you know, so it still exists like that whole house style still lives on in the main books, but like you're seeing a lot more, you know, styles that, you know, are happening where you're like, Oh, that wouldn't have flown five years ago, six years ago when, you know, this was going on like DC 52. If you didn't draw kind of like Jim Lee, like it wasn't happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was it was really it was really crazy. Um, when I started working for Image in 2015, uh, uh, I did 2015 to 2018. That was kind of like a hot time. Mm-hmm. And before that, I would say like 2012, 2013, 2014 was really hot at Image. They kind of had like this thing where they scored a lot of the the Marvel writers and artists. Yeah, like um, Remender, um, Jason Aaron. Uh, I think Snyder even went over there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So when that happened, it was like red hot and I was working really hard to get Southern Cross there. And it was actually originally with Steve Niles uh, was writing. And then Steve had a catastrophe with his house in Texas. Like he bought a brand new house in Texas from L.A. 
and his house was like immediately within two months like destroyed so (laughs) from what a storm storm came in flooded the entire house he just bought and made it like it was gone it was a (laughs) write-off like like steers bro those steers are no joke out there they just took his house out (laughs) yeah like his house was gone like just flooded and wasted and uh so he was in kind of a low place and 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 didn't end up doing the writing and then he had seen that i was like working on the book a lot doing all these designs and like stuff so she took over and eric you know was into it and our first trade was hot like we made good money we got a uh like a you know your standard bought out movie deal thing that you know it never got me you know that's what we did and it was really good but like if i was to go to image now you know the sales just wouldn't be there to to make it worth it and even entry-level positions at marvel and dc you make more you know working at mcdonald's being the fry guy mm-hmm. you it's know so crazy yeah, it's uh, it's gone. So really, your best bet at at making money is to build your own audience. You need to cultivate and build your own audience, and you know, keep working on that. And like crowdfunding, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm lucky, right? Because I've been working for 25 years. That came with a, a price tag of like how much money I can make on Kickstarter and who will come and buy my stuff. Mm-hmm. you know, and who's into it, you know, and, you know, the guys that I got into in it with like Carl Kershaw and Kerry Nord, they also, you know, were big creators. So when they got into it, they, they do really well on, on Kickstarter. Um, and it was a big learning curve. It's been four years of intense studying and crowdfunding is always changing, but it's always, it's always like pretty, pretty good. Um, depending on how you run it and, and I've done so much research on, on crowdfunding, it's bananas. Like that's part of my, like I used to do 200 pages of comics a year and it's been more like 50 the last two years because I end up doing so much Kickstarter stuff. But then uh, financially it kind of uh, balances for you, right? Like yeah, it, it all yeah. kind of comes out in the wash. Like, so you're doing less, less drawing, but financially it's coming about the same. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, inflation is crazy. Um, but you know, like, like I I was working on, I'm working on this insane gigantic magazine project for psycho Gorman. It's Mm. got like, you know, five creator and a hundred pages. We just got the last pages of color in like, and like just trying to, you know, you'll be like, Oh, okay. I just got two stories wrapped and your, your colorist is like, well, I'm working for two months on something else. And you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, it's it's a it's a freaking nightmare man like i mean i'm yeah. run, i run into it too it's like my colorist is in demand in other places and then so it's like hey man i got these pages when you think of him he's like well, i got a couple of projects i got to do before and you're kind of like shit i'm in the queue now i gotta wait and you know so you kind of try to make yourself busy after uh or you know during that time and it sucks because you know like psycho gorman was such a huge project you know and it's just like it has that cult following that comes along with it you know and like you were saying that you know working in the industry for 25 years you have built-in fan base you know like by working for the big two and like you know doing your own books beforehand with image comics that that carries fans over and it's so beneficial for 
you know, Kickstarters or, or Indiegogos or whatever you're using, you know, on the crowdfunding sites. So um, that's a great aspect. And then and then on top of that, so like you have your name and then on top of that, you have Psycho Gorman. And it's just like, that's huge. That's freaking huge. Yeah, it, it did really well. Like uh, that was like that that Kickstarter was so big. It was like out of control. Like that was too much for one person. Mm, yeah, I could used I could have used like two other people helping me with that Kickstarter because it was just like out of control it was so big like i know a lot more now like everything is day one everything you're doing is day one so it's almost like you got to run a campaign before your campaign because day one ends up being really important and what we after i think seven kickstarters we've run between the three of us um in the last two years we've realized that none of us have gone more than three up so meaning none of us have made more than three times the amount that we made on day one so your day one is like the most important day because it's basically going to be a third or half of how much you make in that campaign and that's out of seven campaigns we've done like we noticed we just did that research yesterday Mm. you're looking at yeah you know what's funny is um so you know, just for the audience, like me and Andy, we had a conversation a couple of days ago and it was revolving around Kickstarter, you know, cause I'm, you know, by the time I think this airs, like the, the campaign will be over. Um, Keith is running before May 1st it or is. this after May 1st, April 24th, my friend. Oh, cool. All right. Well, Hey, I still have six days left. So you motherfuckers back that Kickstarter. Time travel. Um, yeah. Yeah, there it goes. Time tra- time travel. Um, so yeah, so a lot of the information that you gave me was extremely helpful. And you know what's cool is I'm approaching, if not in the 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 dead middle of the Kickstarter. You know, like where. Oh, no. What the, what do you guys call it? It's called the dead zone. The the two weeks in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. I always call it the dead middle. And yeah. um, what's interesting is I've implemented some of the things that you and I talked about on the phone, and my Kickstarter is actually increasing. So it, it's kind of nice. Like it's funny because you're like, "Hey, man, you know, we we can we can talk about the next one you do, but let me give you some tips just so you know in the future, right?" And so I'm implementing some of those things already into the Kickstarter, and. One of the things that I I had talked to you about that I I was like I'm kind of holding this in my back pocket is just like the individual contact of of everyone on your social media or whatever you know just talking to you about it, I was like yeah why am I waiting on that why am why am I fucking around so I started doing it and then and like I was looking at you know the chart that's built into your Kickstarter you know it shows the sales and stuff and that needle just keeps going upward and upward and like I love it it's like look it's it's not what you and Carl are doing like number wise but like for me to surpass the dead middle and you know watch that needle climb it's 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 great like I love it and so I I really do I absorbed a lot of the information that you gave me and I'm just kind of looking at it in a different way. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Like if I had done this, I, if I had done that, um, you know, things would be a little different because the day one, like you said, and, and that's something I've known as well. Like, like for me, the day one was so important specifically because Kickstarter, if you get at least half of your goal on the first day, you kind of get pushed to the front of the board. So the algorithm likes you if you hit your goal quick, Yes. Mm-hmm. So it it's just like, 
Yeah. So if you, if you can do that straight away, then you're going to get pushed to the front of the page and then you have a more likely chance of becoming a project we love. Like now, I don't know how important that tag is because a lot of people seem to get it, but it's still something cool to have in your back pocket. But, you know, absorbing all that information that you gave me and like kind of like, OK, you need to have a plan. Uh, for every day of your Kickstarter, you need to be doing something. And, you know, as opposed to just sitting there and watching and waiting for backers to come, like it's truly important to stay engaged and be doing stuff with your project every day. And I'm seeing the benefit of it. Yeah, it's 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 not just like, you know, I have to talk about this a lot with like with backers. I'm like, it's not a store. You're not backing a store. You're backing like a business venture that you know, for whatever reason, um, you're getting to see all the behind the scenes. It's very exciting. You're getting the ins and outs. And that's, you know, I think the successful ones get you, you get to see what's happening. Like they're not just a store. It's not just this big store where you're getting stuff. It's like, you've got to understand like the comic industry is built in a freelance scenario so that they can take advantage of you. <laughs> they don't have to give you like rights they don't have to give you dental they don't have to give you pension they don't have to give you shit and they don't and they pit you against each other right all of comic book artists are pitted against each other because it's a game of musical chairs but when you get to crowdfunding i want backers to know how like fucking dope you people are because you're like giving us a hundred percent freedom to make the books that we want to make and a lot of times it's the probably the books that you want because it would be the stuff that we were all reading back in the day that isn't dictated by Disney corporate or Warner Brothers corporate or or, you know, uh, like rules put on your your stuff that say, like, you can't have any nudity or you can't have any swearing or you can't do this or you can't do that. You know, that's not freedom of speech. That's not freedom. Right. And that's what industry, the mainstream comic industry is. And, you know, like, how well do you think a book like Preacher would do right now where there's an F word in every panel or in every bubble? You know what I mean? And there's nudity. It wouldn't fly. People would freak out. I mean, Mother Trucker has is like it's got TNA, but there's no sex in it. And like, basically, you know, when I talk to my friends, they're like, oh, you do that porn book. I'm like. You're not even reading the book. It's a satire making fun of you saying that to me. That's the funny part. You don't even understand. The book is there to make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's a, you know, it's so interesting. And this is going back to when you, you were talking about the superstar artists and like how there haven't been any sense you know, the days of image comics. And it was because of the success of those artists and, um, you know, in the Marvel world, it's like, yeah, they don't do that anymore because they don't want to get fucked like they did when those guys left because those guys had so much power and they can dictate so many things that they were like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore, but we're going to put the power in the hands of the writer. Well, the funny part about that is those writers do it, too. Like all of the famous art, uh, writers that, you know, built up Marvel again. What they do, they left and they went to Image so they can have their books that they want to do. And like for me personally, like that's the dream. The dream has always been to do my own book and not to answer it to anyone and not have to worry about the content that I'm putting into it. 
except for me. I'm the person that gets to worry about what goes in the book. Do I want this in the book? Yeah, I do want that in the book. And then more than likely, the audience that it finds, those people will want that thing too. And just to ultimately kind of have your destiny in your own, your own hands, that's, that's I think, for a lot of creatives, that's all we've ever wanted. That's all I want. Like, I, I just want to be able to have the freedom to, to make whatever I want. You know, I, th I think that the TNA that's in my book right now is pretty much probably there just because, you know, people bitch about it, you know, and I think that's the point of my book is like, we're more afraid and offended by a set of boobs than we are, uh, you know, kids getting whacked in a school. You know, like you're going to come at me freaking out about that with that, like, that's the commentary happening in my book. <laughs> and also they're nice <laughs> boobs. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I grew up like once I hit 13, I never read anything besides like, you know, heavy metal magazines. So and uh, I just thought they were better artists. I didn't realize the fact that they only had to do 50, 60 pages a year, whereas like your average American artist has to do like, you know, 160 to 200. Yeah, it's crazy. The um, the amount of volume that you have to put out and like you were saying, like if you're working for the big two you're making the same amount as a minimum wage worker now at McDonald's. Like, yeah. like that. And that's, you know, that old saying comic books will break your heart. It's, it's because of that very thing. You know, I think the comic book industry, the fact that the starting wage is the same starting wage that it was in what, like the sixties, like, how has that not gone up? Isn't that bonkers? So it's just like, you kind of look at that and it's because the comic industry relies on these people, much like pro wrestling, uh, that, you do it for the love of the game. So like I remember when I was first started wrestling, I was wrestling for free a lot of the times. Like I was just wrestling because uh, I just wanted to wrestle. I didn't care if they gave me money. I was wasting 30, 30 bucks driving up to LA every week, 20, 30 bucks, like round trip, whatever it is. Right. And 30, 30, 40 round trip. And it's just like, then I wasn't getting paid on top of it. And I was fucking my body up, but I loved wrestling so much. I was willing to do it. And these artists, a lot of times, you know, you'll hear, hear about these artists going like they're getting paid for exposure or they'll take it just on the back end, but they just want to make comic books. You know, they will work for $200 a page when that page takes them, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours, depending how fast or slow they are, you know, and that's like, you break that down per hour, you're making nothing you're making peanuts yeah yeah like for me it takes two three days to do a page and if i'm making three hundred dollars a page that's a hundred dollars a day that's you know and you look at the cost of food and bills and everything it's crap it's yeah, not good totally. yeah but they always said the comics is like as far as like what we do it's the most amount of glory for the least amount of pay this <laughs> <laughs> is 100 percent true for yeah sure. i mean with comics, the only basically the guys that are raking the most amount of money are sort of like the top 5% guys, but the top 5% guys right now aren't making the kind of money that, you know, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane made, you know, when they were at Marvel, because Marvel rates haven't changed. The problem is they didn't change the rates, but they had royalties, like yes. those royalties made them loaded, like X-Men number one made Jim millions. I think the first day that him and Claremont redid X-Men as number one after Uncanny, I think they were making millions. And then as soon as they like each one of those image guys went and started their first image book, it, like issue one, they all made a million dollars day one. Yeah, right. Correct. Well, they were selling yeah. copies. Well, they don't sell millions of copies right now. They can't even get a book to sell over 80,000 copies. 
So it's like there's no royalty. And Disney, I think, cut a lot of the royalty like percentage. Like I think the royalties at Marvel are garbage right now. And DC is a little bit better, but even still, it's like, you know, a friend of mine got offered the big Batman book. You know what I mean? And like, he was like, hey, can I have a raise? I haven't had one since I was 19. And they were like, no. And he's like, are you serious? And they're like, well, it's Batman. And he ended up turning them down. Hmm. That's so crazy, man. They just try to hold that shit over your head. It's just so bonkers. That's, you know, like, (laughs) that's the furthest thing from my mind on what I would want to do. Like, answer to a corporate overlord and then, you know, be paid shit on top of it with no royalties. I mean, uh, and for sure, like you said, they were making millions of dollars at Marvel Comics. I remember, um, you know, Rob Liefeld talking about on his podcast that if he he made over a million dollars with X-Force number one. And when he was talking about with his father, if he should try to do it out on his own and his dad was like, you know, you only want your best for your kids, right? So he's just like, why are you rocking the boat? You're making a a million dollars per issue and he goes well if i sell half of that because i own the property i will make the same amount of money you know or a fraction i don't know if it was half but it was like a quarter or something or he'll be pretty close to it and um of course we all know what happened they make they were making millions of dollars per issue that was being released and then they went on to start paying their their hired hands like three times what marvel or dc would give them so yeah I have a buddy who was like, I made a BMW every month. Yeah, fucking it's so crazy. For Rob, yeah. It's so, so it's, it's so bonkers. Yeah, it's crazy. So like that that's gone, right? That's like back in the nineties, if you if you sold less than three hundred thousand copies of a comic, you were canceled. Right now, it's right. So when 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 the comic like critics and people online are like, you know, when people are like. Oh, we're doing better than we ever have. No, you're not. Like, who are you fucking selling this to? What they're doing is they're kissing ass to try and keep that chair. You know, there's a not there's not a lot of crit, 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 like critical voices in comics. And if you critique, you're blacklisted and not given a chair. And that's how this thing runs. You 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 speak out of class, forget ever getting another opportunity the fucking beauty of um, Kickstarter is like, oh, guess what? We don't need you because the fans, they're down. Like the fans are down. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I always say to Carl, I'm like, being on Kickstarter and doing the kind of comics we're doing is like showing up to the Super Bowl and like the other team just didn't show up. (laughs) That's great, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're just pushing ourselves over here on the, on the field because it's like, you know, we don't have to play by your rules. And that's always the thing with, with art. As soon as you have the power to say no, then you're good. Like you're totally good. And, and I think a lot of like the negative, the negative part of my personality has literally come from the culture that has been distilled in comics where it's like, it's cliquey. It's boys clubs, it's little elitist clubs, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's just not in a, in a, it's kind of like, if you talk out, like that thing, if you talk out a turn, you're not getting, we're going to make sure you don't get a spot sort of thing. Well, it's like, yeah, but like this whole thing sucks now, you know what I mean? 
Like if, if people had just been more honest and open and cool, you know what I mean? It, it may be still going, you know, if there was more creativity. So that's the, that's the beauty about crowdfunding that I love because, you know, look at Brian Polito. Say what you want about Lady Death. That guy's making more money than anyone in comics. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, that was how the mainstream doesn't doesn't accept him and don't and whatever. And I'm just like, maybe Lady Death isn't even my favorite comic, but like I look at that guy, I look at his business model, I look at what he's doing. He's got a warehouse in Arizona, he's got 10 employees, he's making five hundred K a Kickstarter four or five times a year. I'm like, dude, you are a savage. That is all on your back. Like you badass. Like that's the most badass thing ever. He's yeah, not you know, pants like he's he's straight up legit. Yeah, you know that's that's something something that's really important that we talked about again. You know, I apologize to the audience here. You and I talked about prior was, um, you know, with Kickstarter, talent wins out. You know, and that, and really that's that's what it should be about in general. It shouldn't be about your politics, your personal views. You know, honestly, everyone needs to keep that shit to themselves anyway. Like, I don't know why the fuck you guys are bringing yeah. that into comics. We're here to read good, fun stories or horror stories or whatever kind of stories you're trying to tell. That's that's what we should be putting out into the world, and that's what the audience should be consuming. It shouldn't be, you know, like whatever your politics are, whatever you look like, whatever your skin color is. None of that should matter. It should just be matter of – only thing that should matter is the product that you're putting out into the world. Is that product good? Okay, yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think there's room for absolutely every single person on the planet who wants to make a comic book. If you make the best comic book, I, I don't care. Like I was saying to you, like the best living comic book artist right now is Gay and Black, right? Like Olivia Coppell. Do you think anyone gave a shit? <laughs> like for oh, the no. last thing? No, <laughs> you like, just you just got to make sure you're where you're looking at. You just walk in the door and you're like, oh my god, that's the best artist I've ever seen ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you you, you, you just got to be careful where you're looking at his Instagram feed sometimes because before you know uh, it, there'll be a penis, and you're yeah, like, well, you know what? Yeah. I should not have that open <laughs> right now because everyone can see what I'm looking at, and yeah, that's yeah. not okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. uh um, I come from fine art. So like, uh, you know, I, I was in, in like university for fine art. My wife is a, a, a realist painter and she was studied in Italy. So, um, you know, I go to a lot of life drawing where I got to sit there and draw some dick. Like Same. So, when I was, I mean? uh, yeah. when I started college, so it doesn't really bother me. Like his, his secondary Instagram, it's all about, um, hot dudes. I'm just like, <laughs> that is like i don't even care like i'm just like fuck that's a good drawing like totally it's it's not the drawing and it's not the penis that's bothering me it's the fact that i'm in public looking oh. at something you know what i mean like so you're like looking you're just scrolling through instagram and like most of my feed is artists yeah. and friends and whatnot so it's like cool art cool art cool art with a penis crap who's behind me crap my little niece is right here she shouldn't be looking at this you know what i mean so it's stuff like that but yeah totally you no know, olivier is absolutely like the best in the business he's the best he's he the, has this a hybrid style of uh Stuart Eminen and travis charay and then yeah. a little bit of his own thing. And it's just, it's one yeah. of the most beautiful looking things in the world. He's a, he's a really cool dude too. So when like, because of the the wrestling, when I go to the hotels and stuff, I'm always working out in the morning. 
he's normally in there too. He's normally in there like giving her like that guy is like, he like lifts like crazy. So uh, we always chat and he's, he's really cool. He's come to Montreal a few times, but yeah, like I, I just, I would like to get, you know, I think comics is in a, in a weird place where, you know, uh, I don't feel like there's a lot of freedom. Um, <clears throat> and there's, and there's a lot of like weird, there's a lot of weird boys clubs, a lot of weird, like, I don't know if you call them boys clubs anymore. There's just a lot of cliques and those cliques are very high school. Yeah. And I find like when I, I don't, I don't mean to harp on this, but like, you know, when I have friends that are outside of comics that are in the film industry or the music industry and they get into it a little bit, like they all come running to me complaining. They're like, dude, this, this is not an industry. This is like the most unprofessional <laughs> scenario I've ever seen. He's like, I was talking to like an editor at DC and that guy ghosted me. He's like, like, this guy's like a world famous comedian and he's getting ghosted by the editor at DC. And you're just like, I don't know what to tell you, bro. Like they, they just afraid of confrontation. Like, so bizarre. like Darwin Cook used to call them baby men. Like, you, you know, what's funny too is <laughs> when, when you were talking about earlier where you're like, you know, I kind of don't have this thing that most comic related people have is like, you know, you're like, I had girlfriends, I played sports. I did this, I did that. When me and uh, my writer, Ed, who are both pro wrestlers, um, former pro wrestlers, uh, when we did our first God convention, bless. we were we were tabled next to Keith here, Keith Foster. And oh, cool. and so that's how me and Keith met. But the thing that was the most interesting was me and Ed were just talking about shit we liked, which was like we we're talking about basketball. We were talking, you know, we we're talking um, um, like Bruce Lee. We were talking hip hop. We were talking shoes. And Keith was like hey you guys like this stuff and so our bond basically came from us liking the same shit that wasn't comic books and like for us the strangest thing was like oh shit other comic people like this stuff we thought we were like the only guys and for the most part that is true keith is the only person that i have met in like the last nine and a half ten years that likes all that other shit most and of see, them are absolutely people. no one else thinks like that yeah it's fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> um I, I have to say like when i got into i was telling you I, I got into wrestling really old i'm like ddp over here um when i started actually getting in the ring and working really hardcore um it it's like saved my life it was like my therapy you know besides the stuff i talked to you about earlier where i think i'm just getting to an age where any kind of politicking at all just turns me off of everything um uh the wrestling is actually like my therapy because when i'm wrestling on a regular basis i don't think about comics at all like the business side of it like i go to work i do it i love it i'm having a blast it's really fun and i don't think about all the peripheral bs that's happening all the time because like i'm wrestling and so my brain is normally there it's when i stop wrestling that i start focusing on just the the sort of scorched earth that that's left you know you know those image guys what they did was like single-handedly like the dopest most gangsta outlaw dope cool shit ever by bailing on those companies and going like we're doing it ourselves f you, you and know, at you the know same, what's crazy? same time know. totally dropping a nuclear bomb that none of us recovered from <laughs> you know what's interesting <laughs> and you know what's interesting too is a lot of the older huge names were the ones giving them shit for it they're like you oh, yeah. guys are doing this and it's just like 
And then you, you know, you kind of like go back and you look at the history of it and you're like, God, you guys were shits. Like, like you, they were going out and just trying to do their own thing. And you try to stop them. You, you said, Hey, no, you can't make your own burgers. You got to work for McDonald's, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, wait, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? You guys make, make the best burgers in town. How come you guys aren't starting your own shit? You know? And, and so just the logic behind it was just so confusing to me, even as a kid, you know, Actually, like I was, I, think I understand, well. I understand their thinking because those are, those guys all came out of like, world war ii depression so having a regular mm. gig with a like a company where they went into an office and they had a job and they wore a suit was the thing to aspire to right and to bail on it was like insulting to them because you know they grew up in a time where you know all the men would be at war you know or you know there's just like the depression and super poverty and there's no work you know then they built up this thing where they were all working like crazy and making decent money. So those old timey guys, I kind of get that, that they, they did that. Do I agree with that? Like me personally? No, I'm like, fuck, you know, yeah. F everything. I want to go do my own thing. But like, mm -hmm. I understand why they would give those guys shit. Like, it's, it's interesting though, because the guy that like is the, ex the epitome of what you just described is Jack Kirby. And he yeah. was behind them. He said, you guys are doing great. This is amazing because he's been fucked over by the man so much that he was just like, you know what? I have to fight to get my artwork back. You claim that it was missing. You wouldn't give it back to me. All I wanted was this and you wouldn't do this. I wanted a raise. You wouldn't give it to me. So it's funny. The epitome of the, the person that you're talking about is Jack Kirby. And he's the guy that was like, no, you guys are doing it right. Don't listen to these guys. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, they all kind of like praised Jack Kirby and all their comics when they started because I think he yeah. was like for it and behind them because he was getting screwed at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, they had kept all his artwork like and like interns were running in stealing it and all kinds of stuff like it was bad. It was right. super bad. Rad conversation. We got to like cover quite a bit of stuff. I mean, it's so funny because like there's so much like when you become a professional comic book artist the writing and the drawing of it like any any fine artist ends up being 50 percent of the time and the other 50 percent of the time is selling it i got one more question before you leave yeah yeah so what what's the so what's the biggest thing you did this week uh, as far as creating oh my god what a blur this week was <laughs> every week feels like 10 minutes for me now it's so stupid <laughs> uh well, Easter Monday was a holiday, so I didn't get much done. I did get a, a a page and a half done of my samples for my Kickstarter, so that was good. I was working on Mother Trucker pages, um, so that's good. I, I want to get a good chunk of the the book done. Like while I do the Kickstarter, I'm always working on the book, so like I'm in full blown mode. But like I want to have a little bit more done, so I was working on on a on a splash page and. Uh, a page where this big like transport truck crashes into Titan with uh mother trucker wrestling the bone smuggler on the back in the, in the ring. Um, I did that. What else did I do? I'm working on a logo for a wrestling company uh, that, um, Ooh, I don't even know if I can say which company it is. That's because okay. the guy you, could, you who, can leave it open. And like the guy that. who's starting, the guy who's starting uh, the company is um, from AEW. Um, 
it's like a fun thing for him. Okay. Like on, on Twitch, I think. Um, what else did I do this week? I mailed out a shit ton of commissions. Mm. So all my commissions just went out. Um, and I've been prepping for the Comic-Con this weekend in uh, South Carolina. So I'm headed to South Carolina in the morning. Right in 12 hours. Yeah. I would say to pimp it, but this is coming out at the end of the month. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's when it's already happened. Yeah. And I'm sure you've made all of the money since then. You've become even more famous than you already are. So congratulations on that great convention that you just did. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. You got anything to plug before you're out of here? When's your next Kickstarter? When's a mother? Okay, Trucker 3? So uh, mother trucker three is the big one. Um, uh, if you go to my Instagram page at Andy Belanger or, or Twitter at Andy Belanger, there is a link for the sign up. and mother trucker three is going to happen. I think in three weeks, it has to happen. Like I have to have it happen or I'm a dead man between May 1st and May 14th. Okay. So it's probably going to happen on a Tuesday in there. Um, and uh, so that's the next big thing for me is, is mother trucker three. And um I've basically finished a bunch of, uh, oh, Psycho Gorman is going to be PDF ready, digitally ready for everybody in the next week and a half. Sweet. So that, that's yeah. only took like a year and a half, but it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be ready in the next week and a half. I have three. It's so funny. Cause like now my letterer just started a, a Kickstarter. So now I have to like, I have to get a new letterer, but, uh, three days left and it's finished. So then I'm going to get put it together, the layout, and everyone's going to get it in the next week and a half, two weeks. We're both looking yeah. to, uh, forward to getting that in our, our inboxes because we both back yeah. that Kickstarter. So that's awesome, dude. Dude, how the fuck do you pronounce your last name? Belanger? Belanger. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Oh, fuck, man. We're assholes. We said Bellinger. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, Ameri- but you're American. <laughs> American says. We're dumbass Americans. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's how we say yeah, it. We're, sh- we're shit at language. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, oh, well, hey, thank, I'm thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, Andy. Have an, again, on this side of time, have an awesome convention and, 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 uh, and, and kill it. Oh, thank Yeah. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Right on. Yep. All right. So that was our conversation with Andy Belanger. Uh, formerly known as Bellinger here in the States. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, that was a great conversation. I really did enjoy it. And hopefully we can get him on again. Uh, Maybe when he has a project running and he wants to hop on and uh, we won't feel so time constrained because of the fact that he actually did have a convention the following morning from, you know, uh, the day that we recorded there. So he was a a little bit constrained, but you know, like you had said, uh, turned out to be a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And without further ado, you got some bullshit, man. I do. I do. I mean, I think you know what the first bit of bullshit is, which is that I successfully shook the habit for a few weeks. And uh, and I'm a little bit. Did back. you? I'm a, I think I did. I did. Okay. I, how dare you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. I mean, it was. Let me let me think. It was like. It's it's been a few weeks since WonderCon, right? I don't think I was buying anything by WonderCon. I think that was roughly when I was taking a little bit of a break. Because uh yeah, because the drum machine had come in and because of some other stuff. And so I did. I laid I laid a little bit low, but I always kept that eBay going and I always it, it's actually kind of funny because all right, so I the the purchases I made I'll just mention first is I got Fantastic Four number 57 
which is a surprisingly, I don't want to say surprisingly high priced. It's the 57th issue of Fantastic Four. But if you look at issue like 54, you can probably get like a 3.0 of issue, say, 54 or 55, which doesn't have anything going on in particular for like 13 bucks, 14 bucks. So it is kind of interesting to think back, just taking a quick side step here. Fantastic Four number 49 and 48 are worth a shit ton because that's the first Galactus, right? Fantastic Four number 50 is also worth a very good chunk of change because it's the second full Galactus and I think second full Silver Surfer, something like that, right? 52 is the first Black Panther. 57, which is another Doctor Doom story kicking off where Doctor Doom steals, uh, I believe, Silver Surfer's powers, something like that. I'm not, that's nowhere near as much as 48, 49, 50, or 52, but it's, it's not cheap. And, uh, but then you look at a, a issue like 54 or whatever, and it's like $14. I just find that fucking super interesting, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, totally. just crazy the way all that works. But, um, but yeah, I ended up, so I ended up getting fantastic, 50, uh, fantastic four numbers, 57 and 60. And I think I mentioned this before from a week or two ago, but number 58 already came in. I think I had mentioned that before that was from my previous, my previous stuff, right? That this particular arc is super cool um, involving Dr. Doom. And uh, so maybe not though, maybe I I did get that a week or two ago and may or may not have mentioned it, but I was looking at 57 and 60 so often that, and I was at, I was doing it at like a fencing tournament. I was doing it when I was sitting on the couch watching basketball or something like that. And Rachel was like, she happened to look at what I was like scrolling. Cause you know, she did the whole, like she was somewhere else was talking to somebody and then does the quick kind of swoop in, put your arm around the, my, her arms around my shoulders and then sees what I'm looking at on the phone. She's like, how long have you been looking at that comic? <laughs> And I was like, well, it's sort of been background noise for the last like three days or so. She's like, are you getting it? Like, are you just looking at the same comic? I'm like, no, I'm looking at different sellers with different versions of the comic. That's why I'm always scrutinizing it, because this seller might sell it for like thirty eight dollars in this condition. And I'm looking for the value. Right. So. uh, So anyway, what I ended up doing is just biting the bullet and getting number fifty seven through I think was my comic shop. I got that at a at the, the price through my comic shop was way better than any of the prices at any of the values. It was the right combination of condition and price for me. So I went ahead and got it because you get to a certain point where you're like, I'm not finding this cheap, right? Like, I can't remember. Oh, and then then what happened was, I believe, Scott, it was number 60 a day or two ago where I got it at a criminal cheap price. I could not believe how cheap I got it. In fact, I'm not going to say the exact price, um, in terms you of should. dollars, it's so cheap. It's, it's so... single fucking digits. It was nine dollars. Right. It was nine dollars for so a low good. grade, a low grade condition of Fantastic Four number sixty, and it's just like that's a, that's an amazing price, you know. So so that's yeah, so I guess I guess it is worth mentioning. So you know, I think that that just goes with like collecting shit. You know, you at some point you you decide whether you want to just keep being patient or whether you're like fuck it i just need this book now and um and then actually i should mention kind of out of time here that there was a period where i hit you up with like what are your thoughts on restored books because the leader in the clubhouse for fantastic 457 was a very nice looking copy but the problem is it's restored and the problem is it's amateur restoration which it makes it look better but it essentially makes the value complete dick it makes it nothing um, I mean, I've seen, 
you know, when I was when I first learned about restored books, which was just a couple of years ago when I was doing the Fantastic Four 49 searching, you know, a, a restored book with a purple label is roughly worth two numbers less if it were in good condition. So if it's a five, it's probably worth about a three when it mm. comes to what its value is. But I would even argue that for modern books or books that aren't valuable, like that's for Fantastic Four number 49, okay? For Fantastic Four number 60, it's probably worth nothing because when you drop two two numbers like that, you're you're going from, you know, $38 to 22 and you're lucky or, or to 15, you know, because no, it, it sort of hockey sticks up the higher the value you get. So anyway, I got those couple. Um, I, I am looking at some others, but uh, but those were definitely the two I grabbed. So, you know, it, it goes hot and cold, right? Like you stare at it for a while and some days you can tell I'm not interested in this book and some days you you buy it. Um, I will tell you that without spoiling anything from a movie trailer, I became aware of a comic and a movie trailer. And I have been doing a lap in my brain about that because I don't, I, I, I don't want to get caught up in the frenzy. I have not bought it yet and I probably will not buy it. And once I know for a fact that you have seen this movie, I will tell you everything about this, this comic I'm talking about, but out of respect to you and like not watching trailers and all that what stuff. Mo- what movie is it? You want to know what movie it is? I need to know what the movie is so I could look out for it. It's into the spider verse. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, there's a there's a character who shows up, I believe, for the first time in a recent trailer of Spider-Verse. And of course, fun fact, this was a comic I got rid of a long time ago. But the thing is, I remember reading this particular comic and like, it wasn't that great. It was fine. And so like, I'd sort of just be chasing an object at market value. And that's probably the value it is right now. It just doesn't oh, seem like a particularly fun. You could tell me if I'm right. Is it Spider-Man 2099? No. Okay. It is not. Fair enough. It is not. Um, um, I but yeah, but that's a great example. I... That's a great example of a book where it's like big fucking deal. Like that. Nobody yeah. liked that book when it came out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and that's and like he's in that the, the next movie or whatever. Yeah, he appears to be the villain, which is bizarre. But OK, yeah. whatever. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, and then when it was was, a, um, you know, be known to everyone that he was in the movie, that that book went up in price like straight. That went from the dollar bin to 20, 20 to 25 bucks straight away. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that's and what's that crazy. Was about... released, it was released in the 90s. So, so I there's imagine... fucking a million copies of it. Exactly. exactly. Like, it's, I was it's, like, there's it's preposterous that that thing's worth $20. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so anyway, that's my first thing. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about? Yeah, first? man. So, okay, I'm keeping the uh, comic book game going here. So going back to my making comics roots, making comics uh, podcast roots here, I bought Golden Age Daredevil number 41. Mm. And that actually completes my run of the 40s and the 50s. So I have, uh, I think I have 39 through 60 or something like that, or 39 through 59, something like that. So yeah, the 40s and 50s are completely done now, um, which is pretty cool. That's that's something I didn't think was going to happen. Unfortunately, that cost me a little more than I wanted to. Um, It was like 35 bucks, five bucks shipping or whatever. So 40 bucks, 41 bucks. Um, You know, but that's just kind of the going rate. You know, it's a a hella old book. It's from 1965 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or or no, actually 45, 45 to 49. It's golden age, man. Yeah, exactly. It's way back. Well, actually, it's, 
Yeah, in the 50s. So that's probably in, it's probably in the 50s when that was made, actually. Because the first one, I think, was 1945. So if it's in the 50s. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, then 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 issue 36 would have roughly been 1948. And issue mm. number 60 would have been roughly 1950. So we're probably talking about late 40s there. Okay, Assuming cool. they were released monthly. I mean, shit, they, we were just coming out of a goddamn war. So True. Yeah, who knows how fast knows. they were cranking them out back out back then. So, Madonna yeah. was playing baseball. No, wait, that was during the war. <laughs> Good callback. I actually just saw uh, that on one of the streaming sites. That's actually, I think it might be HBO Max or even Amazon yeah. that that's on there. That is an amazing movie. It is an amazing it's great. movie. It's so my, fucking the, good. The scene that sticks out of my mind is uh, Tom Hanks pissing. Oh, and, okay. Like, it's just pissing forever. And I was like, oh, yeah, booze. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's funny because one of my dumb little go-to references sometimes I'll say just out of out of whatever. Whenever I'm referring to like a signature, I always just say avoid the clap Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> right? <laughs> such a such a great such a great line and a great moment. But but anyway, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you you you're dipping into the golden age, man, and and I imagine that issues 1 through 38 are going to hurt a lot more oh, when it comes to you collecting those bad boys, right? Dude, you know what sucks is I missed out on Daredevil number 2. It was a detached cover. I had it saved on eBay. And I did get a notification. It said, hey, 15 minutes, Daredevil number 2 is going to uh, you know, be over. I was in the middle of something, and it was the furthest thing from my mind. I'm like, I have so much shit going on, I don't care about it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone bid on one person bid on it. They got it for $199 mm. for Daredevil number two. Yeah. It was, I was so bummed out. Like, I was hoping that no one else saw it and then it was just going to, you know, relist because I was in the midst of something. Yeah. Uh, but that did not happen. Someone got it for $199 and uh, hands, hats off to them. I think I got Golden Age Daredevil number six for somewhere around three to four. Mm hmm. But that was like my big purchase for the year. Like exactly, I I allow myself one giant purchase, and that was it. It was like, yeah, yeah this is number six. Like, of course, I'm going to try to get this. Of course, yeah. So, no, I, I hear yeah. you. I hear. I mean, that's again, that's where I am on my my Fantastic Four Doctor Doom run. You know, Fantastic Four five is unafucking affordable at any condition. A a zero point five is like. Yeah, fucking two thousand dollars or something like that you know or, or fifteen hundred dollars it's like man i would have to save up forever to even think about that fantastic four number six is maybe you know maybe like 800 or 600 for like a 1.0 but the thing is i don't like 1.0s you know like i want mm. i want like a three i want something that looks at least semi-good so FF6 is probably a little out of my range. Once we start to get into my range, we're really at FF10. But like you just said, that's my once a year purchase right there. Yeah, and then like after present. Yeah, and then after that, it sort of goes all over the place. Like I think Doctor Doom's fifth appearance maybe is Amazing Spider-Man number five. But that thing's through the fucking roof because it's Amazing Spider-Man number five. You know, it's Spider-Man. So yeah. if I remember right... That one, in terms of overall prices, I just said that might even be more expensive or as expensive as Fantastic Four number six, Doctor Doom's second appearance. So the problem is there are some apparent there are some things where it's like shit, man. I mean, this is like a lifelong quest, or I'll probably just cherry pick, you know, the appearances in the top thirty that I just like, and then I expect the more likely move, as you know from the X Men comic I'm looking at, is to just look for cool Doctor Doom covers because I think I get a lot. More 
more joy. I know I get a lot more joy out of just a cool Doctor Doom cover that might be his fucking 315th appearance, but it's a cool Doctor Doom cover. To your point, yeah. it's like it's it's for my enjoyment, and maybe there'll be a day where I'm I just look through them and it's like, yeah, this is my collection of dope Doctor Doom shit. It's fine. It doesn't need to have his first, second, or third appearance in it. It it's got cool shit, and that's what matters to me. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I stopped by the I stopped by SoCal Comics today. Um, and I grab my weekly pulls, and then of course I peruse the shelves, and what did they have? But a reprint of Uncanny X Men number one, the oh. original X Men number one. So That's I now have two copies of X Men number one. Yeah, combined value three thousand eight hundred and fifty four dollars, right? <laughs> or whatever, right? Like <laughs> tack on four bucks, bitch. But but that is that is super valuable because it's like you know you you have this funny line from a, a previous episode. In fact, this was back when I was, uh, when my my opinion on slabbing was different. It's an episode called To Slab or Not to Slab. And uh, and this was when I was anti-slabbing, right? And uh, and you were talking about how, you know, somebody had told you that, oh, X-Men number one, like, why would you keep that slab so you couldn't read it? It's like, well, I can just buy a trade of it or buy it, whatever. It's like, I'm not a monster. <laughs> that was your line. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so when you, you get a $5, $4 reprint of this thing, man, that's f- perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, guess what? I get to read it now. I don't have to worry about Hell yeah. fucking up something I paid thousands of dollars for. <laughs> yeah, well, it was funny, too. Um, I, I may have mentioned this moment on the podcast way back in the day, but back in um, when... When it was first, oh, when when Kang first showed up at the end of Loki season one, there was this whole: is this Kang or is this Immortus? Because yeah. that was mm-hmm. that was a thing. That was a moment where it was like, but is this Kang or is this Immortus? And at the time, Kang uh, Avengers eight was like through the roof because the common knowledge was that it was Kang. To know me is to know that I am. I love zagging when the zigging is happening. So I went ahead and grabbed a pretty cheap copy of Avengers number 10 because it was the first Immortus. Time, of course, proved that I was wrong. It is basically Kang. But then Immortus showed up in a trailer and it was like, well, fuck yeah. See, I won after all. So, uh, but but I, I got that copy of Avengers 10 and I remember taking it and you know my my line on that to slab or not to slab is i want to pick it up and i want to open it with my greedy little hands and look at it and i opened it up and little bits of it flaked off and i was like maybe maybe this is the last time i do this yeah (laughs) you know like like maybe maybe i don't want to handle all my comics to watch just little pieces of them flick off as i'm as i'm like thinking about i mean this is some shit that was made in like 1967 you know it's Mm -hmm. crazy it's it's basically 55 years old or maybe even older so anyway but uh but hey yeah as as you've mentioned before i i have a flexible mind and i i do change my opinion um from time to time on stuff and that's a great thing because there's a lot of people out there that don't and they yeah. stick to their guns, whether they know it's right or wrong. Yeah. They go, no, I'm not changing my stance because I said this one time. <laughs> because so I must who- I must defend my <laughs> past self. <laughs> right. right. Like I was right the first time. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, no, that's great. That's a great quality by you that you can hey. go, hey, yeah, you know what? I was wrong about that. I like yeah, this yeah. other thing now. And this makes more sense to me. Yeah, and, I hear you. Yeah. Hear the X-Men number one, man. I'm actually going to. That's killer. That's yeah, I'm going to give it a read um, and just check it out and enjoy it. And and I like having those. It's kind of a cool time yeah. where they're doing a lot of these reprints and stuff totally. like that. So if there's ever... And yeah, we were at a comic book hideout 
And I was like, hey, man, there's look at that over there. There's a reprint of Avengers with uh, Kang's eight. first appearance. Avengers 8. Yeah, yeah, glorious. Yeah. It looks, it's fantastic. I, I love it. You know, I mean, and look, we, uh, any comic fan who's who's spent a few dollars probably has a Marvel Masterwork or a Marvel Omnibus or all that stuff. I've got my Fantastic Four Volume 1 over there. It is fun to read through those things, even if they're not that good. And some of them aren't, straight no. up, right? Like, but yeah. but it is fun to read through those things and be like, okay, yeah, this is the thing that galvanize the world whatever it is this is the first appearance of dr doom right here even in reprint form it's really fun to kind of go over that yeah i should yeah. mention to you dude um i i don't know man i'm sort of fighting i'm fighting x-men vibes right now i need to there's a good chance i might start collecting x-men i'm really trying to fight this because i oh, need to i need to fulfill Mike. it's it's been the monster in the room because I did read X-Men. I did read X-Men for a while in the 80s. And uh, and I was listening to an audiobook. I was listen- So I'm listening to The Golden Compass right now. And the first hour or two of it. The first hour is fantastic, but the second hour drags. And I was like, you know, since I like reading two audiobooks at the same time, I need to download something that's just fun. And, uh, and, and I just woke up one morning and I'm like, you know what's fun? I want to read an X-Men novelization. So that's what I did. I actually bought and downloaded and am now listening to uh, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga, which I had never read as a comic. It's I've, I'm not even I mean, I know what the story is, but I've never actually read it. So I am now living through the Dark Phoenix saga as a novel. I'm going to refrain. I'm going to withhold my comments on the novel. But there are some scenes in it where I'm like. I can feel the comic Jones like, oh, yeah, I really like Kitty Pride. Oh, yeah, I really like like that. That is my and and I know that's not like the OG X-Men. My definitive version of X-Men is that shit. I think that's a lot of people's. It is, right? Yeah, it's 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 the kids of the 80s. It's Cyclops. It's Jean Grey. It's Wolverine. It's it's Colossus. It's Kitty Pride getting getting in, you know, of course, Professor X, of course, Beast, you know, like and and like the arrival later on of some new character called Gambit. Right. Like that is that is like the wheelhouse of so many of us for X-Men. Yeah, the the X-Men was the one of the weakest titles, actually, when it first started and uh, to the point where it was almost canceled and it was just put into reprints. Mm. So um, I can't I got to look it up, but I think it might have been in the 40s and 50s where they were just reprints of the earlier issues. It wasn't even new stories. Yeah. And like yeah. it was going to get canceled and they even put uh, Neil Adams on it and that didn't do anything to the numbers at the time. And then once they uh I think it was Cockrum and um shoot I don't think it was Claremont straight away. I know Cockrum was in there. Um but that's when the new team came with Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and then later Kitty Pride. Um, yeah, that's when things really got going. That's mm-hmm. when X Men yeah. became popular. So, yep. yeah, Night your wheelhouse. Yep, forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. Your wheelhouse is a lot of people's wheelhouse. Yeah, and I, uh, like when you were talking, I don't know if you saw me looking behind me, but what I was looking for, they released these digest size black and whites mm. of those eras, nice. and you can get them. You can get them on the cheap. So if you're ever jonesing to just read that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, those Marvel reprints that are all black and white. I have a couple of those. I've got I've got yeah. a Doctor Strange one, a Power Man, an Iron Fist one. I know the ones you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great, man. Like you get, I mean, shit. That's 
Yeah, a grip. You get you I get fucking say, thirty comics or something like that. Yeah, something like that, bucks. right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Get them like I think it's like yeah, about fifteen twenty bucks at most. Yeah, depending Hell on yeah. the volume. And, and, and yeah, those were really cool because I was I was closer towards the fall of the X Men um extinction agenda like mm-hmm. i was more on that that end of it so i didn't read a ton of claremont i did read some claremont but not a ton and uh going back and reading those classic x-men books those storylines that everyone talks about it's so interesting you know like you said like yeah you go back and you read those originals and you're like yeah they're not that great mm-hmm. but they were great for that time right yeah, like because they're totally. writing to a younger audience and not necessarily grown-ups but you can see the uh, the roots of it all, right? Like you can see yeah. the beginning of it, and like that's what you appreciate. And then so for me, like going back to the Claremont era, where it's just like okay, they kind of like took the original and they did their own thing and expanded upon it. Mm-hmm. Like y- you get so much cool shit out of that, and go like, oh fuck, this is like an era. Like everything's really dense. Like there's yeah. so much writing on the page, and I think that's what Claremont's known for. Yeah. But that also helps expand the characters. But mm-hmm. it's interesting reading it from like reading X Men the majority of my life, and then going to Claremont stuff. And it's funny because he is he's English, but he's also American. Mm-hmm. So it's really bizarre. Like he'll use a lot of uh, English colloquialisms, mm-hmm. and like it's like Wolverine doesn't say shit like that. Why is Wolverine saying stuff like that? You know, but it's his personality kind of imprinting onto the character, you know, which is kind of funny. That's something that Andy talked about is like, there's writers out there and they all, they make the characters all kind of sound the same. Like they're Mm -hmm. all the quippy ones or all the clever ones where Claremont was kind of imprinting this, this British sensibility on top of everyone. And like, I don't know if you realized he was doing it cause that's just how he speaks. Yeah. But like, yeah, to read that is a uh, very interesting. You hint at a point that I find interesting, which it gets to this idea of voice that we talk about voice. What's my voice, you know? And like, I, I am, I subscribe to the idea that voice is sort of the thing you do unconsciously. That just happens to be you, you know, because as someone who was recently a beginning writer where people would say shit like, oh, I can really see your voice here. And I'm like, what the fuck is my voice? I'm just writing like I feel, you know, but and and that's I, I think in a weird way, that's sort of it. Like voice, your voice is sort of this thing you can't help but burst out of you. It's the part of you that's sort of unconscious that's just you. And I think that sort of stuff is interesting. You know, that was probably just Claremont's voice. That was, yeah, was him. Totally. It was him being him. And that's why, and and that among other reasons is why people love it. So we'll see. The good, the good news is my buddy Mark, who I visited like about a year ago, gave me, you know, that huge stack of comics, which I adore. And, uh, and there were some X-Men in there. So I get to like dip my toe in the water of X-Men before I go and spend money on X-Men. And the good news is there's a big run there that I could just rediscover for nostalgia that's sort of worthless. It's about yes. one, you know, like 175 through 250. Don't really have much value there with the exception of an occasional issue or something. So I could probably, it's a great place to get started and just get into X-Men if in fact I go there. I still got Fantastic Fours to buy. Yeah, that, it reminds me of, uh, we went to a show and um i fuck i can't even remember where it was i don't remember what show it was but you disappeared for a while and then you came back 
and you had a stack of Fantastic Four books. And you're like, I just got these for like a dollar a piece. Yeah. And it was John Byrne, yes, uh, Fantastic Four. So good. And, and yeah, and it's just like, well, it's John Byrne, so obviously the art's amazing. I don't know what the writing's like, but I'm yeah. sure that's pretty good too. So for you to get them on the cheap like that, yeah, like it doesn't matter. You're not... You're not picking up those books in order to try to make a profit off of them. You're picking up the books because you just want to read them. So, yeah. yeah. It was it was Amazing Arizona, but not the year that you oh. found the Simons and Thors. It was a yes. year before. It pre- or it was a convention yeah. before, which was probably three years before because of COVID. Before COVID. But, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah, that, I got that sweet, sweet burn run. It was Zia Records. They had, like, this crazy comic sale. And so, yeah, man, I picked up this grip of Burn. But Burn Fantastic Four is right up there with Claremont X-Men. You know, it's it's speaked of in revered tones, spoken of in revered tones because of how good it is, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we've run on for a while. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, so, hey, what um, I give my beer out of the 10. So it is Golden Road Brewing, Big Hazy Wolf, Hazy Double IPA. I give this a a solid 8. I really liked it. I didn't okay, so this is this is why I give it a eight. I didn't I didn't notice it mm-hmm. while we we're having the conversation. Yeah. It was just for an IPA to be this smooth and hey, that's the hazies and that's why I like them. Yeah. It was just going down nice and easy. And like if we were just going off of that alone, that might be a seven point five. Yeah. But guess what? This was nineteen ounces of fun <laughs> at a nine percent. So yeah. when you give me nineteen ounces at nine percent and I got it at Vaughn's. They had a, uh, it was like a two for seven deal. So for this was yeah. three fifty. Yeah, for the sure. price, the ABV, and the the amount of liquid inside, that's an eight, baby. Yeah, yeah. Drink it down, nice and easy. That's White Snake. At least it's sort of White Snake. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So hey, eight is a great number, and that's the number I'm going to give to this bad boy deep sea decoy. Oh, yeah. Very just a really good grapefruit IPA, man. I mean, it's it's crazy the way that works, right? That like grapefruit. Who the fuck would have guessed? I hate grapefruit. Grapefruit and mango in IPAs are the utter shit, right? Like mm-hmm. all almost all other fruits don't work at all as IPAs or anything. It's it's grapefruit and mango. You explain that to me because I sure as shit can't figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. Fantastic. Fantastic grapefruit IPA. I definitely, uh, in a weird way, it's tough. It's a small sample size. I only had one, but I would put this above grapefruit Sculpin, which is a, an amazing oh, go-to. But yeah, this is right up there with it, if not a little bit better. I loved it. Right on. But was it not too intense? Because that's the one thing I find with grape, grapefruit Sculpin is, mm-hmm. it feels a little intense. You have it, and you're like, yeah, this is good. But yeah. Sculpin is a tough beer. Yeah. But like if you're if you're a beer aficionado, you enjoy it. But there's yeah. something to it that goes like, yeah, you're it's, a little rough. But yeah, I like yes, it. you're right. You're right. Like the Sculpin beers for sure from Ballast Point, like they they sort of confront you. Yeah, like, man. What's up, bitch? And you're Why like you flexing on me. Beer? Yeah, and you're like, and you're like, nothing, sir. What's up with you? <laughs> you know. And then they're like, let me get in that throat, son. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking. Let me, let me get up in them guts. And you're like, okay, okay, I will. Will you? Will you? Will you not hurt me? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yes, this was this was not as quite quite as confrontational as the as the sculptors are. <laughs> I like it. That's a byline right there. <laughs> put that on the can. Yeah, put it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
That's awesome. All right, guys. If you guys enjoyed this episode uh, or didn't, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If there's anyone that you want us to talk to, go ahead and send us an email and say, hey, can you talk to them? And we're going to go and say, probably not. Yeah. That's it. That's the end of that. <laughs> that's, that that's it. That's, that's our answer to you. That's all we can do. Um, yeah, but but I will say that I'm not going to do anything super fancy this episode for it, but hey, five stars, do it, Making Comics Podcast, find us, give us a nice rating, it does help, it it helps reach other creators like you that are either deep in the process and just like listening to other people that doing that are doing exactly what they're doing, or people that might be a little, you know, not 10 years along, not a decade in like your boy Scott and I are, so... It helps. It helps expand the reach. It helps expand the audience, and it makes Scott and I happy because we get a good review, and it, it makes our week. Um, no, no lie. So, so yeah, man, uh, get to that if you have just you know one extra minute. And before we leave you this week again, I just wanted to remind you: I have a few days left on my Kickstarter, Second Shift Dragon Skull, and Keith has just launched his Kickstarter, Animals. Um, so look for both of those. On Kickstarter, obviously, go to our social medias. It's going to be in our profiles and our bios. If you're friends with me on Facebook, click on my main image. Uh, it's right there, you know, in the, the little description there. You know, if you go on my Instagram or Twitter, it's in the profile, the bio, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I'd imagine, Keith, you have that going on as well. Yeah, man. And and to something Scott said a lot, but we, we don't do Patreons. We don't read ads. We, we do this pod. Look, number one, we do this podcast because we love it. But if you love it and you want to show a little love, and we hope you do, check out both of our Kickstarters. Get those books. Keep the industry flowing because it's going to come back to you when you do things like that. Trust me, man. You're, you're part of an industry. So, hey, that, that means buying books that interest you as well. Absolutely. All right. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. And we'll guys... I've been drinking. Booga, See you next booga, week. Booga, 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 booga. Yeah, yeah.